I'll tell you what, we missed him last week, Dale Health Naturally, uh, but he is back today with a vengeance, with a bang, and with a nice jacket. Dennis Stewart, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Mark. I, I'm glad you noticed my decor. It's, it's always good, mate, and a, a nice pair of shoes as well. Um, you will, though, be continuing with the series you yeah, started a few yeah. weeks ago, and with the great springtime weather we're having right now, <laughs> some springtime <laughs> summer herbs. Someone sabotaged it. Now, look, we're taking up the topic again. That is, looking at this time of the year, how it's encouraging a lot of the medicinal plants to raise their heads. And last week, or the last time we met, we discussed the remarkable herb chickweed. Today, I want to take a, uh, look at an equally remarkable herb, which is particularly visible at present. All right. Well, maybe not today. <laughs> Generally, it is at the moment. And plus, Dennis, taking your calls as well, 49216216. Dennis and his big bag of knowledge is along today. Well, thank you, Mark. He is, of course, though, um, looking at some springtime herbs and, again, a yeah, lovely springtime yeah. day of 16 degrees and, and pouring down rain. Um, Dennis, <laughs> one that you like to focus on that should be uh, out and about it at the moment. It is everywhere. Mm. Uh, even driving down from the valley this morning, just looking at some of the uh, the lawns and the uh, the grassed areas, the herb ribwort, ribwort. Is, is just magnificently showing its head at present. Uh, it's sometimes known as lamb's tongue. Uh, farmers would probably know it as lamb's tongue. So can, I've got to ask the names. How did that... Ribwort. Okay, ribwort uh, is uh, it's named after the leaf of the herb, which has very obvious ribs in it, very palpable uh, structure in the leaf. Mm. Uh, the rib of it almost is like the backbone of a fish. Okay. So ribwort is, if you like, wort is a herb, a herb characterised by a rib-like skeletal structure on the leaf. But it's also called lamb's tongue. Yeah, that's the one that got me. <laughs> but but as far as we're concerned, as professional herbalists, medical herbalists of that, we prefer uh, to refer to it uh, by its botanical name, Plantago lanceolata. You're going to make me look that up on my own, aren't you? <laughs> Plantago lanceolata. But look, the reason I'm talking about it is not only because it presently is asserting itself in this uh, spring weather, but it is one of the most popularly used herbs for addressing the most common condition occurring at this time of the year, which is what is known as rhinitis or allergic rhinitis, or what listeners would know as hay fever. Oh, very interested now. Yeah, well, yeah. I thought you would be. Absolutely. Well, there, there are two, two herbs in Western herbal medicine. Now, I keep emphasising this concept of Western herbal medicine. It must not be confused with Chinese herbal medicine. Western herbal medicine is very well documented on the basis of pharmacology, uh, plant chemistry, not just the tradition. And so a lot of what I say uh, should not just be seen, if you like, as, as, uh, as folk medicine uh, restricted to just a tradition. What we're talking about on this program, not only with ribwort, but most of the other herbs that I talk about, are herbs that these days are very well documented with literature that's very credible and with pharmacopoeias incorporating them. And so last week, uh, the last time we met when we spoke about chickweed. Uh, listeners might be amused to think that a common wayside herb that we feed to our finches, <laughs> coolians and canaries, 
uh, has the capacity to function as a herb with great benefit in skin conditions such as eczema, dermatitis and itch. There's no mystery about it. If you go to the literature, you will find that that herb has a very interpretable chemistry and a significant clinical history. Now, when we come to ribwort, it's even more so because ribwort is a big herb in the European system of herbal medicine. I looked at the work this morning by Rudolf Weiss. I frequently refer to him on this program, probably the greatest uh, medical herbalist of modern times, also a brilliant medical practitioner. His book entitled Herbal Medicine, I have lectured from for at least 30 years. Uh, and in that book, he extols the virtue of ribwort as being one of the most important European herbs for addressing multiple respiratory conditions, not just hay fever. A very, very important herb is this little wayside herb, which listeners, go and have a look at it. You'll recognise it because when we were kids at school, we used to fire the bullet from the head of the spike of the herb to hit somebody in the back of the head. It was that commonly used. It's a common herb, Mark. But yet, in the literature, it has some remarkable anti-allergic characteristics of the upper respiratory tract and brilliantly useful for the lower respiratory system in addressing chronic settled respiratory diseases. And kind of handy too that it comes out this time of year when a lot of those things ah, start to flare it. up. That's it. And, and it can be used as a simple herbal tea. Now, always I like to preface my comments on this by saying, if you are, are, if you are into going around and looking for the herbs and collecting them, for goodness sake, make sure you know what you're doing. You should not just pick a herb and suspect that it is what you think it is and make something of it. That's great, but a herb needs to be understood, appreciated, and with ribwort, the best way to use it, the best way to use it is to go to your health food store, order your medical herbalist, purchase it in a finished, dried herbal tea form or in a more sophisticated tincture or fluid extract. I'm not opposed to people collecting. That's great. I like to do it. We did it in Southern Cross Herbal School for 30 years, taking students on field excursions. Very important part of learning about herbal medicine is being able to identify the herb as well as understand why it's being used. Ah, but the problem there is that if you just suspect that these little things are gentle things and uh, you can do what you like with them, you can easily get yourself into trouble. I have to ask because yeah. I know that taste is a huge part of how these things can work. What does this ribwort tea, herbal tea mixture taste like? Look, very few herbs taste nice. <laughs> but it, it is a very safe herb. In fact, in Europe, uh, I was reading this again this morning in Europe, the actual leaf of the herb is juiced and converted into uh, what's called a sucus, which in, in pharmaceutical terms is a juice preparation, a stabilised juice of Plantago lanceolata uh, is used in serious herbal medicine practice, particularly in Europe. In, in, uh, in English-speaking countries, England, UK, Australia, America, the herb is mainly used to address, if you like, rhinomatis, hay fever, sneezing. I'm familiar with that one. Upper respiratory tract. But there again, there again, 
it's it's a, a remedy that is looked at and prescribed in conjunction with the major herb for the upper respiratory system, which students that have studied with me will know, is the herb eyebright. So a combination of the uh, European herb eyebright, which doesn't grow in Australia, but readily available, mm-hmm. um, the herb eyebright and the herb ribwort brought together as a combination and used at this time of the year, prophylactically or preventatively, can work in limiting the onset and the severity of allergic rhinitis or hay fever, which begins to assert itself now. That was my point of talking today about ribwort, its relationship to the season. It's important for managing rhinitis or hay fever. Here we have a springtime herb for a springtime condition. And Dennis, of course, you've been talking about the ribwort today, yeah, yeah. or the lamb's tongue. Yeah, oh, you're getting very well versed, Mark. Well, yeah, I'm not going to. You're learning a lot. I, I know. I'd still like to know. I'm grooming you. I'd still like you to tell me how that name came about. Ribwort, lamb's tongue. Oh, well, I guess if you wait, if you look at the way in which the uh, the leaf of the of the herb mm. in its ripened stage. Curls at the end. Oh, so it's a look thing. It a looks... look thing. Okay, fair enough. Well, we're going to stay on point here. G'day, Will at Tara. You have a question on the ribwort today. What's the story here, Will? Yeah, g'day, guys. Um, you know, Dennis, Hello, I just Will. wanted to um, ask about... Um, I've, I've heard that ribwort was good for insect bites and okay. it was edible. Okay. I don't know how would you prepare it or whatever, if it was yeah, true or not. Look, as far as I'm aware, there's not a great deal of... Um, history of it being used as a as an edible herb, albeit it must be a safe herb because, as I said earlier, in Europe, the herb is actually juiced and converted into a medicinal preparation. So it's obviously a very safe herb, but unlike um, the herb chickweed, it hasn't got yeah. a big reputation in the literature as being, as, as being edible. Now, in some of the literature that I've read, particularly European literature, it is in fact cultivated in parts of Eastern Europe as a fodder crop. Um, oh. So its its use as a fodder crop um, is something that I don't think is, has really been appreciated uh, in this country. It's a valuable herb, um, yeah. apparently, from that perspective. Now, getting back to your question, there is yep. there is a useful traditional use of the herb as a topical application for insect bites and stings. Now, how effective it is, I can't say because I've never used the herb as a topical application. I much rather use uh, herbs like uh, chickweed, but it would be very safe. And even when I was reading um, Dr. Weiss this morning before coming, uh, he made reference to its being used as a topical application for uh, stings and insect bites. Now, if one was going to use it in that way, yeah. I think it would be better to convert it into a, what's called an infused oil or a cream or an yeah. ointment. That's a better way of using it rather than to use the crude, unprocessed and unhygienic herb. Yeah. Oh, well, I, I just walk past it and I see it all the time and I'm just going, yeah, it's, oh, It's magic, yeah. isn't it? It's magic. Yeah. And look, oh, that's right. I, I see it. Everywhere I go, and it's it's uh, at this stage, it's a fairly uh, underdeveloped herb. It's early in the season, but 
uh, I've seen it with uh, with leaves probably 18 inches tall. It can be oh, yeah. magnificent to look at. Oh, yeah, you see heaps around, around Taro. Yeah, that's correct. And, <laughs> yeah. and, 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 the, and the better the country, uh, the more of the herb you will see and the bigger and more luscious it will grow. And look, every time I see it, I say to myself, oh, look, I shouldn't just be looking at this. I should get my manufacturing gear out and get back into the game of making <laughs> some of the things that I made years ago, both with my students and for my clinical practice. It's so easy to convert into a medicinal form, the juice preparation being, I suspect, the easiest way about doing it. If you're, insta- if you're interested, Will, give, yes. my, give my rooms a ring at your Lampton and we'll send you the information from, from Dr. Weiss's book on the herb which also talks about it being used as a, as a juice preparation, particularly for chronic respiratory conditions. Oh, thank you. Yes, I'm oh, definitely interested in that. Well, that's good. Well, I'm glad, uh, A, that you know what reward is, and B, that uh, you're yeah. interested in its use. Dennis, question for you. Uh-huh. Let's stick on point for a moment while we've got right. some time here. Ribwort. Yeah. Um, you say it's useful for... Um, rhinitis. Rhinitis. Difference between that and sinusitis, because we all kind of think of yeah. it as the same yeah. type of thing. Well, look, one could say that they are related, but rhinitis... They're, they're has, first cousins, perhaps. <laughs> rhinitis has more to do with symptoms such as nasal congestion running of the nose, uh, sensitivity of the nose, uh, whereas sinusitis can frequently be a follow-on from rhinitis in that the sinuses then become implicated, the sinuses become filled up with fluid, we used to call it catarrh, and then subsequently lend themselves to infection. So in, in my interpretation, sinusitis is, if you like, uh, a follow-on from uncontrolled rhinitis, it then becomes an infection which frequently calls for antibiotic medication. Now, if that is the case, and many people experience that scenario, this is where the combination that we've been talking about, the the herb ribwort, particularly in combination with the English herb, eyebright, euphrasia officinalis, those two herbs deal with the sensitivity, the uh, more the rhinitis symptomatology. But when you add the two most popular, well-known, well-defined American medicinals with natural antibiotic characteristics and anti-inflammatory characteristics, the two herbs, echinacea and golden seal, and many practice, practitioners out there listening to this program, and there are many that do listen to it, from the Atherton Tablelands, how are you going, Dan, to, to Melbourne with Bob down there, how are you, Bob? Um, they will know that that combination, eyebright golden seal, ribwort, eyebright, that is a magnificent proven combination in the Anglo-American system to actually address a level of condition that subsequently implicates the sinuses. And, and many people suffer that chronically and are looking for something that will lessen their dependence on the antibody. Mm. Now, you would know, Mark, that I'm not opposed in any way at all 
do antihistamines or antibiotics. Correct. The myself, they're an important part of medicine, but you can't live on them forever. And this is where what I'm talking about with these gentler remedies, with a proven track record, have a role to play, particularly this time of the year. So if they, they have the, the track record, yeah, like you yeah, said, that yeah. they can be a really good yeah, way of intervening, yeah. why don't we hear so much about them? And why is it, for the, for the most part, just left to rot on the side of the road? Very good question, and I think a lot about it. I think there are a couple of answers to it. I think an important answer to that would be that still there's considerable ignorance within mainstream medicine at the teaching level and at the clinical level of another group of na- of drugs, which are natural drugs, which can be used to address many conditions within modern medical clinical practice effectively and less dangerously than some of the present medications that are being used. Put it down to ignorance. It's not being taught in medical schools, as far as I'm aware. I have for years said in my lectures that there would be a great role for a one-semester program, even if it's an elective, a one-semester program in all medical courses for an introduction to natural drugs in which I'm talking about could be introduced to medical students who could then see the possibility of taking on board this sensible, modern interpretation of herbal medicine and accessing it when it's required. That's one aspect of why we don't see a lot of it. The second one, of course, is, as you said, pick the stuff up from the wayside. You literally do that when you go foraging for herbs, but there's no money in it for drug companies. It's close to free as you can get. Exactly right. You, you would know, and I'm not being cynical, but you would know that modern medicine is based on the ongoing activity of drug companies that have to continually manufacture designer drugs to satisfy the shareholders and keep the momentum of money going. Now, there's some good aspects of that, ah, but there are other aspects also which would mean, as you've pointed out, there's no money in a big drug company manufacturing from Plantago Lanceolata or Ribwort. It's, it's a natural substance. It would be virtually impossible to put a patent on it so there's no money in it. And so that side of it, the monetary, economic side of it, the profitability side of it, works against also this system of medicine being taken in any way at all seriously. Uh, g'day, Maurice. Now, uh, you're looking to uh, inquire about the Moringa plant, the Moringa tree. What's the story there, Maurice? Yeah, I've worked up, I'm in Newcastle moment, but I work up around the Mount Isa area. And yes. I, I moved into a house and it had a number of moringa trees in the yard. Yes. I didn't know, but there was an Indian family yes. uh, living next door and they told me all about this plant. And yes. they sort of um, use it a lot in a lot of their food. Correct. And, it, and, and um, they call it the drumstick tree yes. or the miracle tree. Yes, yes. And, and yes, I was just... Uh, wondering, Dennis, whether you knew much about it, you know. Okay. Um, Look, I'll be uh, blunt with you and say that uh, I know something about it, but it's it's not a plant that I've spent a lot of time looking at. But but you would know from uh, my programs that one of my interests in things at present is to look at uh, the plant life, the herbal life of, uh, of, of Asia and Southeast Asia, uh, talking about things like 
Java kidney tea as an example of the way in recent times I've broadened uh, my interest in plants and herbs from other countries. Now, the Moringa is one of those. Uh, we, we know it's a very edible herb, and it is, 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 is a latent to, to South Asia and Southeast Asia where it's grown, and it contains a broad spectrum of proteins, vitamins, and minerals, and it is considered to be useful for addressing malnutrition tendencies. In other words, in parts of the, of the world where uh, food is scarce, this plant holds a broad spectrum of nutritional possibilities, and because it can be grown cheaply and very easily, and even in drought-resistant uh, or in drought areas, because of that, it is popularly used, particularly in the third world. So its major use is as a source of nutrition, particularly in the underdeveloped world, certainly in Asia and Southeast Asia, where it's very, very popularly used, and a good food uh, to think about, even for our, us Anglos that uh, know little of these things, but uh, this is one food that should be pa- taken perhaps equally seriously as it is by our, our Indian brothers and sisters. Yes, I've noticed that um, it's sort of taking off a little bit in America. Yes. And it's a very, it, 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 uh, it, it loves the heat because um, it gets very hot up, up where I work. Yes. And it also grows very quickly. Correct. And it's, a good, it's a good tree, in fact, uh, yeah. up, uh, to consider growing up around the vineyard area where, where it's dry and very hot in summer. Uh, an area that uh, loves the grapes and olives, which similarly can handle, uh, you know, droughts and poor soil and heat. So it's it's one of these foods that I can see has a possibility of being introduced into this part of the world as a food source and hopefully developing into a commercial crop. Thank you so much, uh, Maurice, and indeed our other callers today on Health Naturally. Dennis, got about a couple of minutes to uh, to wrap up here today, so uh, any final thoughts uh, well, on our on your program? My uh, thoughts would be, uh, triggered a little bit by what Morris was saying, what is increasingly interesting, even on this program over the years, uh, uh, is the way in which many listeners are talking about herbs and foods which... 20 years ago would have been unknown in this country. And I mentioned, for instance, my, uh, my pioneer work in dealing with the, with the herb Java kidney tea. That is an example of the way in which the program, based a lot on what listeners have brought before us, is broadening the horizons of many Australians to look at food sources, and in my case, at medicinal herb sources that up to this point have been relatively unknown. That's something that's emerged from Morris's great contribution. What do we know about the Moringa plant? Listeners, Google and have a look at it. Try to get hold of some of it and look at the possibility of doing something with it. That whole concept, though, Dennis, uh, and as you probably enter your last decade and a half of practising here... Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. But um, but the fact that we are becoming more encouraged to source out yeah. these things, yes. like you said, in the last 20 years, that there's a bit more of a, dare I you know, get, bring you full circle and go back to the 60s here, more of a movement, if you will. It is a movement, and mm. I was part of the original movement, and the wheels turned the full circle. I'll go out 
with the movement reasserting itself. And one of them was a very interesting time for looking at foods, medicines, which at that stage uh, were not being looked at. And we won't look at what some of them were at that stage. <laughs> There's a few that are still around. Um, the only thing that's missing, of course, Dennis, is the photos of you that you keep promising from your days in the uh, protest era. We are working on that. It will be very interesting and it will be delivered to you at an appropriate time. <laughs> Men should have been in politics instead. Here's our herbalist and naturopath, Dennis Stewart. Thanks, mate. We'll catch up with you next week. Thank you very much, mate. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.